This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. We're just going to pray just before we come to the Word of God this morning. Father, we thank you for the privilege already this morning of being able to come into your presence, Lord. Lord, we pray that we don't come in this morning because we have to, but because we want to, because we're coming to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Lord, we thank you for the privilege already this morning of being able to sing and to worship you in song. Lord, you are truly worthy. And Lord, as we come now, we come to your word, Lord. And Lord, this is where you speak to us, where you have something to say to us, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. You would give us open hearts, open minds, Lord, to hear what your spirit is saying. Lord, we bless you this morning. We magnify you in all that we do. And we tell you that you are truly worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Got you to turn to Psalm 34. I was thinking just when it was in preparation, what are the Psalms about? What do the Psalms say to us? You know, we all can say that we have favorite Psalms. May just be one of them. It may be various numbers of them. William Van German, one of the scholars who wrote a commentary on Psalms, says the book of Psalms is God's prescription for a complacent church because through it he reveals how great, how wonderful, how magnificent, how wise, and how utterly awe-inspiring he is. And I think that's a great description of the Psalms because the Psalms are real. You don't have to read too long into the Psalms and you see that they're talking about things that are real life. Many of the situations you come across in the Psalms, we find the psalmist is in fear. He's in worry. There's depression. There's sorrow. There's persecution. There's war. And many other things. And this tells us that the Psalms are real life. That the Psalms that we, when we open the Word and look at them, we can see our reflection of our own lives at times reflected back to us. And that may not sound sort of really positive in today's age, because, you know, even within the church today, there's a, there's a theme of positive thinking. Uh, uh, don't confess negative things. But let's be honest about life. Life at times is tough. And life at times is hard. And listen, let's be honest with ourselves. Has there times when we have feared? Yes, there is. Has there times when we have been worried? Yes, there is. Has there times when we could say we've been down and maybe even depressed? Yes, there is. Have we felt sorrow? Yes, we have. Has there been persecution? Yes, there has. Have we been at war? Not just in a country of war, but maybe in our minds and in our hearts, we've been at war and we've been struggling. 
But this is where we come to the Psalms. And we see these things among the psalmists as they write. But we thank God, just as the description that was given at the start, that through it we see how great a God we have, how wonderful a God we have, how magnificent a God we have, how utterly awe-inspiring a God we have. These are life situations, but we thank God that he is involved in our lives. And that should encourage us this morning that God is involved in our lives. We see many of these things in the Psalms counteracted by faith, by trust, by joy, by victory, by praise, and by worship. God has given his word to help us in these times of trouble. And when we come to the Psalms, we see that clearly. We see that plainly. And it encourages us. God's not distant. God is close. Whatever life can throw at us, God has an answer. And let us be encouraged this morning as we turn to these Psalms. And we see God interact with his people. God interacts with his people. It's not positive thinking. It's not don't confess this, but it's turn our eyes towards God and let us behold our God. Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I think that's a verse that really sums up Psalm 34. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Spurgeon says on that, on that verse, he says, Scripture does not flatter us like the storybooks with the idea that goodness will secure us from trouble. Though, though trials of... Uh, sorry, can I bring me on writing? Through Jehovah, he will deliver us from all our ills. He will lead us, his redeemed, scaleless and triumphant through every, through every trial. Many of the afflictions, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Goodness will not mean that strife does not come, but let us remember that God is on our side. Think of Joseph. We think of the trials that he had, but God was with him. We think of Daniel in the land's den, taken out of his country and thrown into a land's den. We think of the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. We think of Paul and Silas in jail. Think of yourself, of the trials that you have been through. But we can confidently say that God has been with us at every stage. God never left us. God never forsook us. He has been with us at every step of the way. And Psalm 34 it's an interesting psalm. In the title of the psalm, it says, Of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. We find that story in 1 Samuel 21. You can turn to it if you want, but we're not just gonna we're just gonna flick over a few bits. Now we've got to think of the situation where David is in. Leading up to being captured by Abimelech. 
and having to fake that he was that he was mad to escape. David was on the run. Saul had threatened David. He'd been threatening him for years, but really here it comes to a head, and David flees for his life. We know the story of, of David and Jonathan, where Jonathan came to warn David and says, You better get out of town because my father's going to kill you. And David is separated from his people. And he is separated from his best friend, Jonathan. He's on the run. He's alone. He heads to the temple. And he has, he's hungry and he's starving. And he steals, he, he, he takes some of the bread, not steals it, he takes some of the bread that was meant for the priests. And even there, there's a man who sees him and reports back to King Saul. He can't even find peace in the house of God. And he ends up being captured by Abimelech. And he has to feign that, that he's mad to escape. And he flees. And he finds himself in the cave of Adullam. He finds himself alone. And all of this has happened one after the other, one after the other, one after the other. Does life sometimes feel like everything happens one thing after another? But this is where we come to this psalm. And I think it's a wonderful psalm. Because look at the first words of David. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, after all of that, now David isn't writing this at the exact moment, but he's looking back in hindsight. And why he writes this is because in all of those situations, he sees the hand of God at work in his life. And maybe you don't feel like it at the moment, but hold on like David. And there is coming a time when you can say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is a wonderful psalm to encourage ourselves with because knowing the backstory helps us to realize the setting and say, well, if David, God can do that for David, then God can do that for me. Because these words are written for our admonition. They're written to encourage us. They're written to give us strength in tough times. I will bless the Lord at all times. That's a great encouragement. Because the world will sometimes think, praise God when everything's going well. But the child of God can say, I will praise God when we're in the tough times as well. And David here saying, in all things, because he'd been through some things, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Spurgeon says of this, it wasn't a hidden confession. He says, it's in my mouth. Sometimes when we go through trials, we become deflated and our head goes down. And we don't have that shine about us at times. And that's not to say we should always walk about with a smile on our face. 
Like remember, the Psalms are real life. But our mouths never stop praising God. That's an important thing for us to remember. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Regardless of what situation we are in, he is worthy to be praised. So let's lift our voices and let's not let our confession of how great God is, let that not stop. Let us confess how good he is and how great he is. His praise is in his mouth. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. You know, I think sometimes we live in an age of boasting where everyone boasts about themselves or they'll boast about this one or that one. You know, sometimes I watch the cooking shows and that, that, no, probably annoys Kathy at times. But I listen to this, you know, this is the dish that I have made. This is wonderful and this is great. And I always think that's for someone else to tell you. Everybody's confessing how great their thing is. And I know, yes, maybe I'm, I'm getting carried away a wee bit and I'm a hobby horse. But it says to me, we're boasting about things. But here David says, I will make my boast in the Lord. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. His enemies boasted maybe we have captured him. His enemies boasted that we have overcome him. But David was able to say, I will make my boast in the Lord. My soul boasts in the Lord. How was he able to boast in the Lord? Because he had a clear picture of the Lord. And if we're going to boast in the Lord, we need to focus upon the Lord. This is why pastor preaches so often, and most people who stand behind this pulpit encourage us to read the Word of God. Because this is where we get a clear picture of who God is. This is why I said, well, this is what the Psalms are written for, to tell us how great God is. Not how great we are, but how great God is. Listen, if you're not reading the Word of God, start reading the Word of God. Encourage yourself in the Lord. David had a clear picture of the Lord. He saw the Lord before him at all times. Then he says, let the humble hear and be glad. You know, it's only the humble that can have a clear picture of God. Let the humble hear and be glad. Because the, the prideful, the arrogant, there's no time for the word. There's no time for God. There's no time to look upon him. They're not humble enough to see God. So how can they be glad in God if they won't even look at him it's only the humble can see this and the world will look at us and say we're fools we're silly do you know what we are we're humble we're humble enough to say that we don't know it all but God you know it all only the humble can see it and be glad you want to know how to be glad be humble enough to accept the Lord's will in your life. Be humble enough to know that he is in control. Then what does he say? What does he say? And he says to the humble, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's what we're doing here this morning. A humble group of God's people 
recognizing God, coming together and exalting his name together, realizing that he is the king, that he is the Lord, and that he is all that we need. Magnify the Lord and let us exalt his name together. You know, David here has washed his hands of, of, of all self-promotion. Now let's think about David. We always think of David as great King David. And he was that. But David saw himself before God. And there was no pride in him. There was just humility. No self-promotion. David didn't care about himself. Now we know he had hiccups. We know he had made mistakes. And the Bible's very plain about that. But he had a heart that sought after God. There was no self-promotion in him. He goes on in verses 4 to 7 to tell of the situation. And this is again the reality of the Psalms. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Did you notice the reality? Delivered me from all my fears. There's the risk of being ashamed and there's troubles. I say again, there's, a, there's this that you're not allowed to show any weakness. Listen, we are weak people. And if David can say, I had fears. There was a risk of being ashamed. There was troubles all around. But look what David says about what God has done. He delivered me from all my fears. He says those, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. And there was troubles, but he saved him out of all of his troubles. David just wants to magnify the Lord here. He's real about who he is in himself. But he says, I am looking to a greater one. I am looking to God. And he's encouraging us to do exactly the same. Isn't it interesting? He says, those who look to him are radiant. They're radiant because they look. It's not a false radiance. It's a real radiance because they look to him. And our faces will be radiant if we look to him. Do you ever get to the stage sometimes where your head goes down? And we've been there. And the pressures of the situation get you down. And physically and spiritually at times our heads can go down. But David here encourages us to lift our heads. And to let the, the light of God shine on our faces again. And let his radiance be our radiance. To let his encouragement encourage us. To let us, him deliver us from the fears and the worries. And he will save us from all of our troubles. I love what David is doing here. He's encouraging. He's building up. He's not drawing attention to himself but he's drawing attention to the Lord. Let's draw attention to the Lord. Let's behold our God. 
In verse 7, he says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. This is a wonderful verse. The angel of the Lord encamps. And looking at it while studying for this, scholars talk about this angel. Point back to the covenant that God made with his people. We can go back to the covenant even at creation. We can go back to the covenant with Abraham and at Sinai. That God has pledged himself to his people. Let's not miss what that's saying. God has pledged himself to his people. I think of the, the, the covenant that he made with Abraham. Abraham had no part of it. Abraham fell asleep. And it was God who made the covenant. God has pledged himself to his people. And what he has pledged himself to do for his people, he will do. He has contracted himself, pledged himself, covenanted himself. You know, a contract we think of today, and it's very easy going. There's a lot of loopholes that people look for. I think if, you know, in the football world, you sign a four or five year contract, but somebody comes up with a better offer, they're gone in a year or 18 months. There's business contracts that fall apart because people are looking for loopholes. But thank God, God's not looking for any loopholes. God made the covenant and there's no loopholes in it. God says, I will do for my people. That should really encourage us this morning. Let's not think of a contract in this covenant like, like a worldly contract. God says, I will work on behalf of my people. That's a wonderful thing. He has pledged himself to us. Let God be, let ma, uh, let, let God be true and every man a liar. God cannot lie. He has said it and he will do it. God's not looking for loopholes. And it says, the angel of the Lord encamps around. He encamps around. Let me just read this quickly. You know this well. In 2 Kings chapter 6. And it's the story of Ezekiel, or sorry, Elisha and his servant. And they're surrounded by the enemies. And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Listen, so the Lord opened his eyes at the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Truly, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. That's a wonderful verse. The Lord encamps around. There's no getting around. He's there below us. He's there Above us, he's there on every side. David again is encouraging us. Then he goes on in verses 8 to 22. There's a slight change of tact. He's worshipped. 
He's saying, this is why I'm worshipping. He's encouraging us. Then he says to those around him, and he says to us today, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What it means is, experience this for yourself. Taste and experience it for yourself. Because the Lord wants us to experience his presence. The Lord wants us to experience his deliverance. The Lord wants us to experience his power and his might and his joy and his peace working in our lives, no matter what the situation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. David has learned. This is a wise leader. This is a leader who has been through a few things. This is a leader who is not just talking. This is a leader who has been through experiences and been through trials. Listen, that's the sort of man or woman I want to come to me and say, listen, trust in the Lord because what he has done for me, he will do for you. Let me tell you what he has done for me how he brought me through, how he strengthened me, how I went through this great trial, but the Lord delivered me out of it all. That's the one we need to listen to. And each one of us has experiences, and each one of us has had trials, and will have more. But the Lord has brought us through, and will yet bring us through. And let us encourage one another. There's people that are going to come to you when they're in a struggle, and they're going to say, what do I do? And then you can say, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Let me tell you what the Lord has said to me, how he helped me in these struggles. One scholar says, left to himself, says of David, left to himself, tempted of such experiences, learning also through this discipline, because the God allowed it to discipline and teach him to anchor his soul more firmly on the promise of the living God. David is now undergoing a most essential part of his training, gaining the experience that is to qualify him to say with earnestness to others, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. It's training so that we can say to others, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's what David's doing here. David doesn't keep this to himself. David wants to show others that the Lord is great. But to experience it for yourself. In verse 10, he says, the young, the young lands suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I was thinking about this young lands, thinking, who are these young lands? I was thinking about their, these are the inexperienced. These are those that are independent. Like, just like the world, no time for the Lord. These, these are those that have not learned to fear the Lord. These are those that have not had their will broken, who are still trying to do it their way, who are saying, we don't need God. Or maybe this morning you are a believer. But there's things that you are holding on to. You're saying, God, this far and no more. 
And maybe God has to break your will. But then he goes on to say, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The young lands who are dependent on themselves and their own strength, who want their own will, their own way. The emphasis is that they're not seeking the Lord. The emphasis is they're not seeking God's way. If that's you this morning, I encourage you to lay it all down and seek the Lord's way and say, Lord, your way and your way alone in my life. Because it says then we lack no good thing. Our way says, well, if I can just do this, I want this and I'll get it. But the Lord says, I want to give you good things. Lay it down. Seek my face and you will lack nothing. This is what David is conveying again. It is better to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Again, just 11, verses 11 to 14, he says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Again, this is a, a sign of how much he cares. David is a caring man who cares about God's people. And we're commanded to love one another. We're commanded to love one another and care for one another. He's saying, come, O children. He calls them his children because he cares. And what he's trying to say, listen, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. David's saying, look to him. He cares. David has had the experience and he's saying, be willing. Don't close your heart. Don't be headstrong. Come and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You know, your father, my father and my mother when you're younger, and it's, I think we, we, when we do all do it, we think they know nothing. You know, you get to that sort of 12, 13 year age, 14 maybe, well, it's probably a lot longer. Some of us may be a lot older than that as even at that. And we think they know nothing. We listen, we won't listen to them. And you know what I've discovered? I've turned into my mother and my father. <laughs> and we think we know better. And I end up like them. And you know what? They were right. They were right. And David said to these children, not just at a young age, but those that maybe aren't listening, these young lions, and he's saying, listen to me, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. And he's saying, I've got some good advice for you. He says, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? He says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. David was this young man and he saw the Lord bring him through. Maybe you're struggling this morning. Maybe you're thinking, what's this all about? Listen, take the advice of David. 
Listen to your father. Listen to your spiritual fathers. And encourage one another to walk in the ways of the Lord. To seek his face. Because the Lord has only good things for us. Verses 15 to 18. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears toward the cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And again, the emphasis just this is an experienced man teaching so that when troubles hit or trials hit, that we don't fail and we don't falter, that we know who to look to. We know to look to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's good to realize that it's the Lord we need. He puts the emphasis upon the eyes of the Lord. The Lord is looking out for us. His ears are toward their cry. The Lord is listening to us. And in our experience, sometimes we think the Lord's a million miles away. But what does it say? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear and delivers them. The Lord doesn't come to us. The Lord is already with us. His eyes are upon us and his ears are open to our cry. His fa- the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The emphasis that tells me is that his face is against the evil. Then his face is towards the righteous. The Lord has turned towards us as we yield to his will and cry out to him and say, Lord, your will be done in my life. Let's cry for help to him because he will hear us. Let's look to him because he sees us. Let's put our lives in his hands. God's eyes are towards and his ears are open and his presence is always near. And in verse 19 to 22, he sums up. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. A lot of Christians think nothing bad will happen in life. When they become born again, everything's going to go well. But he reminds us again, there's many afflictions are going to come because this is not our home. This earth is not our home. This world is not our home. Heaven is our home. And in his presence is where we belong. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. It's a hostile world. But look, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And I think there's an encouragement here for our eternal home. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. There is struggles. There is hardships. But our eternal salvation is already secured. We're not living for today. We're living for the future, where we will be with him in eternity. He has redeemed his servants. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. There's a world out there going to hell. 
there is a people that God has brought to himself. And we will not be condemned for our sin because God has made us holy and righteous. So we can see from this psalm, when we look at the the history of it, when we see the background, what David does, he's directing us towards the Lord, to look to God at all times, to see the salvation of our God, to see that he is for us and not against us, to show us that his eyes are open to us and his ears are open to hear our cries and his face is turned towards us. What a great God we serve. What a wonderful God we serve. Please, this is not writing on a page. This is reality. And it's a reality that I want to experience. It's a reality that I want, as what David has said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Church, there's more. There is more that God wants us to experience of his presence and of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word says to us, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God. And Lord, up until now, we have seen that goodness. We have felt that goodness. But Lord, we pray from this day forward that we would experience more of that goodness. Lord, no matter what the situation that life may bring, we know that you encamp about us. We want your presence. We want your deliverance. We want you to to see your face that is shining upon us. And Lord, we pray that as your church, we would reflect it. The Lord, that we would see our faces would be radiant with the glory of God. Lord, I pray for your people this morning, those that are in trials, going through them. Lord, would you strengthen them? Lord, would you let them know your presence this morning? Would you work on their behalf, Lord, as as they go through it? But Lord, give them that assurance that you are with them. Lord, help them to lift their heads and to shine for you in the midst. Help us to be an encouragement to one another. Help us to lift one another up, always telling what the Lord has done for us. Lord, we acknowledge like David, Lord, we're nothing in ourselves. Lord, we have no strength in ourselves and that is our own. But Lord, you are our strength and you are our shield. So Lord, we turn our eyes towards you this morning giving you thanks and giving you praise for what you have done and giving you glory and honor and worship for what you will yet do. Lord, we will lack no good thing because we have a good God. So Lord, we, we say to you this morning, be glorified, be honored in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal 
or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk